Happy spring break to all you Jefferson County folks. It's an honor to get to do double duty for you today. There's uh, top five things. Drums and opening God's Word are, are in those top five things for me. So this is a good day. And don't, don't worry, I've got a watch right here. I've got one right here. There's one back there. We're going to be out of here in time to see a little March Madness. If I see too, many, too much fidgeting, getting uncomfortable, I'll know that I'm going a little long, but I'm not going to do that, I promise. I just got to say, though, you know, I've been on this stage a lot, but not yet in this capacity. So this is something that I've been looking forward to for a really, really long time, just to, you know, see you guys through the lights and to hear your voices sing in there at the end. I want to pinch myself sometimes because it still doesn't feel real. These first two months in this new space have been so amazing. Uh, God has been so good to us, I think. And <clears throat> I hope the, the Exodus series that we've been going through has been as profitable for you as it's been for me. The way our pastor Tony has opened up the scriptures has helped me see a book that I know well in such a, a whole new way way deeper way and I have a hard time explaining that to people who haven't been here the whole time but you know if, if you're visiting with visiting with us this morning if you're new my goal is to allow you to jump in with us to see what God has been doing so far in the book of Exodus um, I do want to offer just a little disclaimer because I am not the, the regular teaching pastor here um, so today is going to be a little different when the preacher is away the student minister will play. And so here we are. So what I'm going to do is going to be a little, more, a little more like teaching, I think. Um, it's going to be a little academic in some places, but uh, I promise you there's going to be some preaching at the end, and I trust that God will use it. So Exodus has been going by really fast. Um, it feels to me like we've been driving down the interstate of Exodus at like 80 miles an hour. And I understand that Speed metaphors are, are tricky because 80 miles an hour for some of you might be crazy fast. But there are others in this room where 80 miles an hour is like uncomfortably slow. And so I don't know, as, as we go through this book, you may be thinking, gosh, I wish they'd slow down. And others are like, can we just get to the Red Sea, please? I, I understand that there are different types of speeds. And I was really tempted to make a Star Wars reference here to parsecs and, and you know, the, the Kessel Run. I do, does anyone here, can anyone tell me the, 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 the spacecraft in Star Wars that did the Kessel Run in under 12 parsecs? I'm glad someone's paying attention. I feel better. I hope that didn't alienate many of you. Star Wars reference is kind of a, a habit. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't do this and not throw one in there somewhere, so I think that's awesome. Uh, all that to say, Eight chapters into Exodus, and things are moving fast, right? Maybe not Millennium Falcon fast, but fast. The story is really moving. We started the plagues last week. The drama of Exodus is unfolding, and it's not slowing down. But today, we are going to slow down a little bit. We're going to pump the brakes and actually park the car, so to speak, over one of the most important things you will ever read in the Bible. And you can quote me on that. I'll explain. So a month or so ago, when we were going through Exodus chapter 3, we were properly introduced to the God of the Bible. Now, if that makes you uncomfortable, yes, 
we certainly do meet God in Genesis. He is the first and the main character of Genesis. We see him create. We see him interact with and talk to people. We see him make promises. We see his reasoning behind certain things. There's a ton we can learn, but all of Genesis is just that, the beginning, the prologue to the unfolding story that the Bible is telling. And all of the Bible, all 66 books, come together supernaturally to tell one story, to answer one question. Who is God? It's the most important question you or I or anyone in this world will ever ask. And some of the most important verses to help us answer that question are found in the story we've been watching unfold. Turn with me back to Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to start reading in verse 13. Exodus chapter 3. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, or ask God actually, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also asked God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So normally when you meet somebody new, there's kind of a a protocol to it. There's a, a socially acceptable way that conversation unfolds. You know, it's something like, Hi, my name's Chris. Hi, Chris. My name is Tom. Hi, Tom. Nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? Oh, I sell insurance. And back and forth we go. It's kind of a a dance, so to speak. What just happened in Exodus chapter 3 is nothing like that. Tom. Moses, Moses, God somehow speaks from a bush that is somehow on fire but not burning. Talk about an icebreaker. So put yourself in Moses' shoes for a second. Forget about the, the, the crazy burning bush. Moses, in his heart of hearts, is a, a true Hebrew, a son of Abraham. He believes in the God of his people. He wants what's best for them. He left the wealth and status of Egypt behind because he chose to identify as one of God's people. He's now a foreigner in a foreign land. And yet, he's about to figure out that he didn't know that much about God at all. In fact, as we've seen these last few weeks, God's about to turn Moses' life upside down. And it's all because of his name. Can you, can you, can you believe what we just read, really? God has a name. His name isn't God, it's Yahweh. Just like John and Jennifer or Kenny or Jane, God has a name. Who God is, his name is one of the most important things we can know. 
And this is where we're going to park this morning because, and Tony said it, one Sunday just isn't enough to talk about this. I don't know if 10 Sundays is enough, but we're going to try. If you weren't here on February 17th, go back and listen to the sermon on Exodus chapter 3. It was awesome. I'm going to try not to repeat a lot of that. But if I can leave you this morning in awe and in reverence and in love with what God reveals about himself through his name, that will be time well spent. So I'm going to start like this. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Chris. I am one of the worship leaders and the student minister here at Providence. My full name is Christopher Michael Hodge. Most people call me Chris or Hodge. Nobody but my mom, my grandmothers, and now my wife, when she's angry with me, call me Christopher anymore. I've retired that name. I've also been called other names, though. When I was in basic training for the Air Force years ago, uh, people called me Stretch because, well, you can, you can imagine why. I was the only one tall enough to reach the projector in the room a lot of the times, so they called me Stretch. Um, but I've also gone by Sarge, Polcat, Haji, uh, a lot of other names, some I won't mention here. But names are important, Right? I'd be interested, for those of you that know my brother, how many of you actually think his name is Bob or Jonathan? Because not many people call him by his real name. It's a funny story. I've never even heard my sister-in-law, she's not here this morning either to defend herself. I've never, his own wife, I've never heard her call him by his real name. It makes for some pretty interesting conversations sometimes. But because names are all important, names have meaning, and usually a good name has a good story behind it. I'd be interested to know, does anyone here know the meaning behind their name and have like a really cool, just, I really want you to, to, to yell it at me if you, have a, if, you have a, if you know the meaning of your name. Just a couple. Does anybody know? Supplanter? Supplanter? James. James. Suppl- I didn't know that. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> no, you're right, Benjamin, right? Yeah. That's cool. That's you know, I find the meaning behind names fascinating. I don't know why. I used to think that you know, Native Americans had crazy cool names, you know, like runs with swift waters or brave golden eagle. <laughs> but the truth is that we have just, we've translated those names into English, and in their original languages, they were just words that they kind of smushed together to create new words, new names. And many of our names are just transliterations, which is a little different, of old Greek, Latin, or, you know, different languages. My name, Christopher, means messenger of Christ or Christ bearer, which I think is awesome. But here's where it gets interesting for my name. My middle name, Michael, comes from uh, Hebrew, Michael, which is a rhetorical statement that says, who is like God? Well, no one is like God. But did you recognize the name for God in the name Michael? There's no 
There's no Yahweh in Michael. Only there is. And if you look around and, and listen to different names, you'll hear this everywhere. Mike L. Israel. Noel. Elijah. Daniel. Samuel. I could literally go on and on. El, E-L, is short for Elohim, which is capital G, God, in Hebrew, the Old Testament. Elohim is the, old, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and Moses, and through Jesus, us. You know, we're, Tony and I are going to get new business cards made here soon at the church since we've moved from our offices, and I think I'm going to put Messenger of Christ who is like God Hodge on mine. We'll see if that freaks anybody out. <laughs> it's probably not a good idea. But you know, I don't know if my parents knew. I, I could ask them. I don't know if my parents knew what those names mean when they, meant when they gave them to me. Maybe they just sounded good. Um, maybe you have a family name. I don't know if you know what your name means, but I hope that you'll go home today and find out because it's pretty cool. And if I see you on your phones... Uh, for us this morning, I'll just assume you're not watching basketball, you're Googling your name, so don't worry about that. But names are so important, especially in the Bible. People, places, things, you see a name in the Bible, you look it up because there's a meaning behind it. When God gives someone a name, stop, pay attention. That's always important because God often uses names to point to a person's character or other qualities. Now, we can't do that. You can name your little girls grace all you want. You can't make them graceful. But God can do that. And so it's, a little, it's, it's more than a little significant when, when out of the burning bush, God speaks, my name is Yahweh. It's a name but it's not just another name. It has a meaning, and it is awesome. I do want to explain something else before I go any further, though. You know, since some of you know, since, since our church began, we've only used one uh, version of the Bible, one translation, the ESV, the English Standard Version. I love the ESV. It's a great translation, but there are a lot of great translations out there. You may have noticed, though, the last few weeks in Exodus, we have bounced back and forth a couple times between the ESV and the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the HCSB. I, I love the HCSB. It's what I use with our student ministry. I'm reading through the Bible this year in it. If you're looking for something maybe a little less rigid uh, than, than like the ESV, but, but still really super faithful to a word-for-word translation of the original language, maybe check out the HCSB. And that's, you know, I don't stand up here and tell you that as like a, an advertisement necessarily, because the, the reason I love that translation is the same reason we're using it in Exodus. Let, let me read for you Exodus 3.15 again in the ESV. This is different than what I read earlier. And regardless of what you're looking at in front of you, uh, just, just follow along and see what, what you have. Exodus three, fifteen. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. 
And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So the only difference really in what I just read now to five minutes ago is that instead of Yahweh, we have the Lord. And this is unfortunate because, you know, we really don't have lords anymore. There was a time, and not long ago, where that word would have meant a lot more to us than it does now. Even when I hear things like, Jesus is uh, our, our Lord and Savior, I, I struggle with that because, honestly, I'm an American. I, I, and, and you are too, whether you know it or not. We are so saturated with freedom and personal liberty that we don't have a category for something or anything that has the kind of authority over us that a Lord would. You say Lord, I think of like knights in shining armor back in medieval times. And they still have lords in Great Britain, but even that is like way different than it used to be. Most of us have grown up with the Lord. And so we pray, dear Lord. But that's not God's name. Capital letters L-O-R-D isn't the name he's to be remembered by throughout all generations. And yet, most of our English Bibles have this and little or no mention to Yahweh. And I'm not trying to make you doubt your Bibles this morning. The reason behind this is actually really interesting. So, thousands of years after Moses first wrote, wrote down the first books of the Bible, Jewish people started to substitute God's covenant name with other titles for a number of reasons. Instead of Yahweh, they would write and say Adonai, which means Lord or Master. People address God as Adonai a ton in the New Testament. It's a sign of respect and authority. Moses says over and over to God, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. He's saying, Oh, my Adonai. This is how today in English we get so confused by Psalm, uh, like verses like Psalm 110, which I have uh, on, the, on the screen in just a sec. Psalm 110 says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It'll be much easier to understand if in English we could see that the first Lord is Yahweh and the second Lord is Adonai. Jesus and the Pharisees in the New Testament, they agree that this was Yahweh talking about the Messiah. And yet, it's hard for us to understand. So, in addition to just calling God Lord, Jews also started using the more generic, capital G, God, Elohim, because they felt that it would be better understood in cultures where there were many gods. You know, who is your God? He's God. Well, he's the God. The biggest, however, explanation history tells us as to why God's name, God's covenant name, has been neglected you may, and this is hard to believe. It's because people didn't know how to pronounce it. And what if I told you, we still don't know for sure how to pronounce it. This is crazy, but just bear with me for just a second. This is God's name. You read that? 
<laughs> so the top two are like how it would have looked thousands of years ago, and the bottom is kind of a, a modern version of ancient Hebrew. But four letters. Now Hebrew reads right to left, not left to right, so that's, that's tough to start with. But these letters are yod Hey, vav Hey, four letters. And we call this the Tetragrammaton, which is just Latin for four letters. This is God's name. This is the word that we call Yahweh. The thing is, there's no vowels in that word. We don't know what the vowels are. So there's a lot of discussion about how it was pronounced, which leads many people to believe it was never intended to be pronounced. Because of that conundrum, many Jews believe and still believe that God's name is too holy to say out loud. Even to attempt it would be to break the, one of the Ten Commandments, the, to not take the name of the Lord in vain. That's why they started using Adonai. And somewhere along the way, this is crazy, Somewhere along the way, someone stuck the vowels on the word Adonai over top of the Tetragrammaton. And they pronounced it Yehovah. That's where we get Jehovah from. But that's not God's name either. Now most scholars agree that we are pronouncing Yahweh kind of close. And that's, that's really as, as best we can get. The OCD in me, that drives me crazy. I can't, I can't stand that. But you know what? God didn't speak to Moses in English. I wish he had, but he didn't. And so this, so this is hard for us. And so, because unfortunately, Yahweh sounds strange to our ears, and because we follow the Jewish tradition of replacing God's name with Lord, almost every English translation of the Bible has Capital letters L-O-R-D, which means that when you see that, behind it is that, which is pretty cool. Now, I don't think we do wrong by reading or saying the Lord. Obviously, we do almost every week. It's certainly not wrong to pray, dear Lord, he is certainly the Lord of all. But how can you not look at Exodus chapter 3 and realize there's more to this name than meets the eye? Look at Exodus chapter 3 again. Just, just look at it. The first thing that jumps off the page is that three, you know, Moses asks a question. What's your name? And God answers him three times. Three times he says it. You've got to watch out for those threes. Those are tricky. Moses says to God, If the people ask me what your name is, what shall I say to them? And God says, One, I am who I am. Two, I am sent you and three Yahweh the God of your fathers has sent me to you God's not giving Moses three different answers he's saying the same thing three times this is why God's name is so important to know and to love in the darkest places in the loneliest times when the pain is too much God through his very name says I am here If you're like me, I feel like I say all the time, you know, God, if you're if you're really there, if you're if if I'm gonna lose my life, if I'm gonna give my life for what you want me to do, I need to know that you're good. 
I, I need to know that you're, you're in charge. Are you really in control, God? Is that not what Moses is really asking him here? I think it is. And God's response is, I am. He is. The sovereignty of God is the greatest comfort to me. I recognize I say that as a, as a man who has faced almost no adversity thus far in life. I know that bad things happen, and if, if I live long enough, they're going to happen to me. But for so long, I tried to function in a world where God just, you know, rolls the dice and let's, let's see how they do. Let's see if Chris is good enough. And that's just not the God of the Bible. He is good. God knows what he's doing. He has a plan. I may not like it. A lot of the times it might hurt but we can trust him. Psalm 9 verse 10 says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Yahweh, have not forsaken those who seek you. There's a connection, it would seem, to knowing the amazingness and the greatness and the mystery of God's name and seeking after him. It's almost like David is saying in the psalm, if you knew what God's name says about God, you would run after him. My name, Christopher, literally means Christ bearer. It's easy to see in English the Christ in Christopher. It's, It's right there in the spelling. Well, right there in, in Hebrew, Yahweh has within it, I am. What's your name, God? In verse 14, God says, Echyech asher echyech. Sounds like I'm sneezing. I apologize. That's Hebrew for you. <laughs> verse 14, God says, Say this to the people of Israel. Echyech, I am, has sent me to you. I know this is technical stuff and it's, you know, it's kind of weird, but these details are a message from God to us. At the very bottom of the, the, the grammar, the, the words, the, the root word underneath Yahweh, underneath I am, is a Hebrew verb, Hayah, which means I exist. Who are you, God. I am. What's your name? I am. And like Tony said a month ago, because his name is I am, your name and and mine is I am not. I, I love that because it just makes so clear the implications behind who God is. I am who I am. He will be who he will be. He was who he was. He is. There is nothing more important than that. He is the Lord, yes, but he is so much more than that. He's not the God of thunder. He's not the God of the Nile. He's not the sun God. He is the God of all that is. He simply is. He is the most absolute and fundamental reality. There's nothing more true, nothing more foundational then that God is everything else that is is because he is 
He doesn't owe his existence or any of his divine attributes to anyone or anything because he just is. When a little kid asks, who made God? A wise parent says, nobody made God. God simply is and always was. He has no beginning. Because he absolutely is, he has no beginning. And because he has no beginning, he has no end. He is. His absoluteness means he's completely independent. He depends on nothing to support him, to counsel him, to make him what he is, which means everything that isn't God is completely dependent on God for for being all of the creation and, and, and all the things too small or too big that we haven't the technology to even see yet exist moment by moment, second by second, by God's decision to keep it in being. Your head hurt yet? Because mine does. I've been thinking about this for weeks. His absoluteness means he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. John Piper says, God cannot be improved. He is not becoming anything. He is who he is. There's no development in God. No progress. Absolute perfection cannot be improved. Because God absolutely is means he can do whatever he pleases and is always right, always beautiful, always truthful. There are no outside forces acting on him, no no limitations on him uh, achieving what he wants. Do you know what he wants? Do you know what pleases God? Why does Yahweh even care about the children of Israel? In, in Egypt they were nothing Abraham was a nobody when God called him and quite frankly why would he care about us if he's so big I think the answer is written all over the book of Exodus remember in chapter 5 and turn there if you're sitting on Exodus chapter 3 in Exodus 5 when Moses and Aaron first go to Pharaoh They say, this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, who is Yahweh that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I do not know anything about Yahweh, and besides, I will not let Israel go. So Pharaoh doesn't seem so so impressed by this God he hasn't heard of. It's unlikely he knows what the name Yahweh means. But the people of Israel aren't that much better off. They don't believe at first either. Then in chapter 6, God tells Moses something amazing. Chapter 6, verse 2. Then God spoke to Moses telling him, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them. This, that, that's really interesting. God being God is called many things in the Bible, hundreds of names, as people have wrestled with who he is. God Almighty, El Shaddai, you heard that? The one God, El Echad, I'm not going to pronounce them all in Hebrew, I can't. But 
the holy God, the God of Israel, the great God, the God of the heavens, the most high God, the God of truth, the God of my strength, God of my salvation, God who is near. And one of my favorites, God is with us, Emmanuel. All of these are amazing names, and yet God named himself Yahweh. Yahweh is a greater name than God Almighty. Yahweh should inspire greater confidence. Knowing God Almighty was enough for the patriarchs to leave their homes and their lands and to trust the promise they did not see. But Yahweh is enough for you to take the next step, whatever that is, out of bondage, Israel, and towards the promised land. Yahweh will lead you home. Over and over again in Exodus and throughout the whole Bible, God acts, God does, God is pleased to work for one reason, so they shall know that I am Yahweh. Yahweh will not abandon his people because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people. That's 1 Samuel 12, verse 22. Exodus 9, 16, which we'll read in a few weeks. It, it was quoted by Paul in, in, in Romans 9, 17. God speaks through Moses to Pharaoh. However, I have let you live for this purpose, to show my power and to make my name known in all the earth. In Isaiah 48, God says, I will delay my anger for the honor of my name. I will restrain myself for your benefit and for my praise so that you will not be destroyed. Look, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I will act for my own sake, indeed my own, for how can I be defiled? I will not give my glory to another. Friends, the most important thing to God is His glory. And nothing is more glorious than His name. He will rescue Israel from Egypt in amazing and terrible ways so that the world will hear and know that He is. The God of Israel is not just a God among gods. He is the one true God. No beginning, no ending, no dependence. He simply is, always was, and always will be. He communicates all of this with His personal name. He means for you to know him. Infinite truth is knowable. Because when the fullness of time had come, Yahweh came into this world to seek and to save the lost. In Matthew 121, the angel said to Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. In John chapter 8, Jesus is interacting with the, the Jewish religious leaders and Pharisees. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he was to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews then said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? 
Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Don't let anyone ever tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. Those of us who are born of God through faith in Jesus Christ have the unbelievable privilege of seeing and knowing Yahweh as our Father. I know a lot of this might seem academic, maybe even trivial to you. Chris, just help me get through the next week. (laughs) I get it. Hebrew words and, and translations, transliterations, it can all feel like a bit much. But I hope you know, as we continue reading through this book of Exodus, and as you leave this place and go on your merry way for the rest of your life, wherever that may lead you, that fundamentally the most important thing we can know is that God is. There is never a time or a place where He is not. We may not feel like it, but it's true. He has not left us to our own devices. He has come near to us through Jesus Christ. He has made a way to bridge that gap that exists between us and our sin and His perfect holiness. You want your life to count? You want to do something great with your life? Make much of the name of Jesus. Make Him famous. It starts with trusting in Him and making Him the Lord. Yes, the Lord of your life. He is Yahweh made flesh there is no other name by which we can be saved if you don't know him if the name of jesus isn't precious to you this morning don't leave here without talking to someone come talk to me i'd I'd love to talk to you about his name come find me or come find one of the elders don't leave here if you don't know him this morning let's all Leave this place with a renewed passion for showing the world the beauty, the grace, the goodness, and the truth of his glorious name. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, God, would that be true that you would be Lord of everyone here? And the Providence Church would be a place that seeks to to make disciples that, that go throughout life, wherever life takes them, to make much of your name. God, in Isaiah it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that, that you are Lord. Philippians says the same thing about Jesus. Would it be true in our hearts? There's a day coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. God, help us spend our days, however long we might have, just with a passion for knowing you, for sharing the gospel of your Son, Christ. Help us sing even now as as we're about to leave this place. just of the, of the amazing truth and power and beauty of your great name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.